Welcome to Better Roll Boston. My name is Somia Ganapathy and I will be your host. For this episode, I will speak with Solstice co-founder and CEO, Steph Spears. Solstice is a community solar company based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. In this episode, we discuss community solar, which is, in a nutshell, a program that lets households have access to solar panels, even if they can't install solar panels on the roof. I initially met Steph in 2014 at a program at MIT, and it was really nice to see and learn how much her vision of Solstice has progressed from 2014. Hi, Steph. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Solstice, and how you got interested in what you're doing? Sure. So my name is Steph Spears. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Solstice. Solstice connects households and businesses to community shared solar farms and then manages the whole customer experience for the life of that 20-year solar project. Why did you start Solstice? Growing up in Honolulu, Hawaii, I was so lucky to be around beautiful nature um, all the time. And I realized that growing up in Hawaii also was really formative in, in wanting to protect the land, but also seeing the hard effects of inequality that, that um, inequality has on society. Hawaii is a pretty unequal place. There's a lot of poverty. Um, and then there's what people think about when they think of Hawaii, which is a lot of plenty and paradise. And so growing up in that environment and being the child of immigrant parents, um, at times being really close to homelessness um, and paying for food with food stamps and seeing how hard my family worked for basic necessities, it really showed me that, you know, how we get to where we are in life is as much a result of hard work as it is about luck and the birth lottery. And so combining all of those loves, the love for the land and the love for the environment, but also a really um, fervent desire to try to address inequality, that is how Solstice came about. Um, Solstice is about trying to get solar to everyone, not just the people that can afford it, or not just the people who can put it on their home, and not just the people who have the money to pay for it. We believe that energy is a human right. And, and so we wanted to start Solstice to make sure that we put affordable solar power in the hands of every American. Awesome. That's an amazing backstory. But I'll be quite honest, I don't fully understand what community solar is. Can you describe what it is and why it's so important? Absolutely. So community solar is a new type of solar. It's really only been around in the last five years commercially. And it, it's grown a lot in the fa last five years. It's, it's seen as one of the fastest growing parts of the solar industry. And it's predicted to continue to more than double each of the next 10 years. And Green Tech Media says that it's going to be an 80 to $120 billion industry by 2030. So what is this fast growing new industry? Well, community solar is this idea that you don't have to put solar on your own home. You can buy a portion of a neighborhood shared solar farm and switch to solar that way. Um, in fact, so rather than put solar on your own home, you buy a portion of a neighborhood shared solar farm and that's how you can get solar. And the reason why community solar is seen as so affordable and accessible is because you as a participant don't have to pay an upfront cost. 
to get it. You don't have to put anything on your home. You just pay for the power that's produced by your portion of the farm. And in most cases, you're actually getting a guaranteed discount compared to what you would have paid the utility for that power. So you're not putting anything on your home. You're not paying anything up front. You're getting a guaranteed discount. Well, this is the most affordable and accessible type of clean energy out there. And it can actually help people save money on their bills if they can get access to it. Awesome. So is community solar owned by the community or is it owned by um, electrical municipalities such as Eversource? It depends. It depends on the state. You know, we don't live in a, a country with one energy policy, unfortunately, because of the way that the grid evolved and the parochial nature that the grid was built and the wholesale markets are also regional for energy. Um, we and regulations happen on a state by state level. And so there's a lot of geographic uh, constraints when you talk about the energy industry and the regulations associated with it. So that's all to say the answer to your question is who owns the solar farms for community solar depends. Sometimes it's the utility themselves, the, the provider of power to communities. Sometimes it's private solar developers. We call them third-party solar developers who are like private commercial real estate developers in the way that they're building these farms. And sometimes it's the communities themselves that come together and, and, and build a farm in their local community that they own more like a co-op style. And I have to say, you know, the latter example where the communities own the farms themselves, it's pretty rare um, because communities often don't have the upfront capital of millions of dollars to build a solar farm. But so much about Solstice is trying to put more of that clean energy infrastructure wealth back into communities to kind of try to find ways to give community ownership potential in their own community solar farms. That's definitely an evolving pursuit of ours because it's so hard to do without the capital, but it's, it's, it's a goal of ours to make sure that happens more and more as the future, as we get down the line in the future of this industry. Absolutely, and hopefully as costs come down, there'll be an option to have more community-owned solar. Yeah, and it's, you know, when we're talking about uh, ownership of what are very valuable assets, you know, it's not just technology improving and costs coming down naturally that have to occur. We also have to fundamentally change the systems of capital flows and, and who gets to benefit from these projects. And what I'm trying to say is that, you know, so much of what Solstice focuses on is about the justice component of the energy system. The fact that the energy system doesn't um, the beneficiaries of our current energy system are not the communities that are most affected by climate change. You know, frontline climate communities, which are low income and disproportionately black and brown, they don't get any benefits of the clean energy industry. And, and so I, when I say that it's not going to happen naturally, it, it's, it's because the systems are set up to exclude those populations. And so the only way we change the systems is we have to kind of address the root causes of the system, like capital flows and where projects are cited. Um, can talk a lot more about that topic at a different time, but it, it doesn't happen on its own. And we, we need every person that's working in energy to want to make the system more equitable or else it won't happen. For sure. Yeah. So does Solstice have any projects in Massachusetts currently? 
Yeah, we've worked on community solar projects in Massachusetts in our in our in the last several years. We've been working on projects. Some of our first projects were in Massachusetts. We're based in Massachusetts, and um, unfortunately, Massachusetts regulations changed a couple of years ago to what is uh, a framework called the Smart Smart Program, and it just changed the how electricity sold back to the grid was compensated. So that's all to say that there was a couple of years uh, where there weren't any solar projects coming online in Massachusetts as developers got used to the new regulations, but we're glad to see that projects are coming back online again. That's awesome. Are there any interesting projects you're currently doing in community solar? Yeah, so we are about to launch a project that we've been working on for several years in New York City, and we and our coalition partners won a competitive RFP put out by NYCHA, which is the New York City Housing Authority, to build the first community solar projects on NYCHA housing throughout New York City. And that was a really exciting project um, to come to fruition because it was in our minds, um, in a lot of ways, an ideal project in that we got to serve low-income tenants in the NYCHA housing system. Um, we, we got to ensure that part of the project was specifically dedicated to low-income populations. And we also have a lot of, of friends in New York City that have been waiting to sign up for Community Solar for a while so we can connect them to the project too. And it just, you know, it the, there's a workforce development angle to the project in which um, people are getting job training in clean energy that hadn't worked in clean energy before. And there are benefits um, that go to government agencies, NYCHA, who, who are citing the project, who, who have the land in which the project is being built. And so in a lot of ways, it's, 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 it's a project in which we are putting benefits directly in the hands of a, a number of entities in the community. And that's exactly the kind of community first driven um, methodology that, that we get excited about, that we get um, really, really uh, fired up to do every day. That's awesome. That's a really holistic way of approaching this project. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, we need to work with our partners on the ground and the communities um, very closely in order to do these projects well and make sure they have community buy-in. And so this has had that from the beginning. That's great. So what would be the ideal person or community for Community Solar? Yeah, so the ideal community for Community Solar is a community that's in a state that allows for Community Solar. Um, there are about 20 or so states that have passed legislation in their state legislature saying that people can benefit from solar, even if it's not on their own rooftop, that they can benefit from shared solar farms. And then there are another 20 or so states where utilities themselves are doing pilots for community solar. We tend to work more directly with the developers who build community solar rather than the utilities, at least to date, because utilities are just getting started with their programs. They're most often in pilot mode. Um, often they're offered at a premium, like an extra cost to customers. And we don't want to deal with that kind of premium product when we can just get savings to people. Um, so that's all to say that you have to have the enabling environment to allow for community solar. And that the number of states that allow for community solar grows every year. So that's very exciting. And then other than that, you need a plot of land that can house a solar farm. So you 
our a typical solar farm is about two to three megawatts, which will serve anywhere from three to 400 customers. And so you need essentially a couple of football fields to, to site a solar farm. And they tend to be on former landfills, super fun sites, like polluted sites, or farmland that's not being used for agricultural purposes and the farmer can generate extra revenue by hosting a solar farm. And so those are some of the ways you can get the land to build a solar farm. And then the participants in that utility area surrounding that land in that local area get to benefit. And sometimes the beneficiaries are in the same town, but they can also be hours away. Um, you don't have to be right next to your solar farm to benefit. And so what is pretty cool about community solar is that you're taking land that's good for solar and you're allowing a bunch of people around that land to benefit from that solar farm, to, to proverbially plug into that solar farm. And so it's like the sharing economy, but for solar. What are some barriers to having community solar? Yeah, so... Barriers to community solar is, I mean, this is a really new industry relatively, right? That just started a few years ago. And so there's community solar is not available yet everywhere. And like I said, you either have to have a utility that pilots a program for community solar, or you have to live in a state that passed legislation that said that people can benefit from community solar. And so there are about 42 states that have one of those two frameworks right now. And you know, a few years ago, that was 15 states. So there's just every year so many more states signing up to do community solar. Also, in the last two years, we've gone from just two states in the country having 100% renewable or clean standards, those two states being Hawaii and California. And now we have so many states and cities that have passed 100% renewable or clean standards that one in three Americans now lives in a locality that has 100% renewable or clean standard. And community solar is not a silver bullet, but it is certainly an important part of the solution set. And um, and so you have to have the enabling legisl legislative environment. Uh, other than that, you have to be in the same utility zone as your solar farm. Like I said, it could be, you could be next to your solar farm, you can be hours away, but you still have to be in the same utility zone. And the reason is because you see your benefits show up as a credit on your utility bill. You don't change your relationship with your utility, you just start to see a credit for your solar share. And and so those are some of the biggest constraints, but they're, they're, they're definitely being minimized over time. For sure. And what actually is a utility zone? Yeah, so a utility zone is a is is the zone that the utility providers providing electricity to. So you take a utility like uh, National Grid or EverSource, and everywhere that they provide power in EverSource, you just have to ha um, be in the same area as your solar farm. And for example, in Massachusetts, there are three utility zones. So you could have a farm that's out by Cape Cod, three hours away from Boston, and it can still serve Boston because it's the same utility zone. Okay, that makes sense. And if someone's interested in signing up for a community solar or wants to learn more about it, how should they proceed? Yeah, so you can go to our website at enroll.com solstice.us. So it's enroll, 
www.solstice.us as in United States. And we, um, you can sign up and if there's a solar farm available in your area, then we'll connect you immediately. If there's not one yet, then we'll keep you on the wait list for that. And we'll let you know as soon as a solar farm is available. Okay, great. So this is both for um, homeowners as well as renters, essentially? Yeah, exactly. And the, that's the benefit of community solar is that renters can finally sign up for clean energy. And generally, if you're a renter, you've been locked out of the, the solar market because you couldn't put solar on your own roof because you didn't control your roof. Um, and it's actually just not not just renters. It's four out of five Americans are locked out of the solar, the rooftop solar market. And it's renters and condo owners. It's people who don't have the right rooftop to build solar on it. Like it doesn't face the right direction or, or it's covered cover. by a tree. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. A lot of trees, you're not going to cut down the tree to build solar, but it prevents you from getting rooftop. And, and, you know, there's just a ton of reasons why people cannot get rooftop. And so community solar is a good, is a good benefit for them. For sure. Yeah. Are there any months where if you have a surplus of community solar, is that carried forward to the next month or can you uh, share it with another grid? Yeah. So generally, if you have excess credits, uh, you're not using all the electricity that your solar share produced that month. And yeah, you're in, in most states, this is all down to state by state regulation. But in all the states that we operate in, your, your credits will just carry over into a subsequent month. And so... Um, and then the other thing we, we make sure we do is we size your share uh, to be approximately equal to the amount of electricity you use. So if you're generating excess credits every month, your your share has been sized incorrectly. Um, so, you know, that's not a perennial chronic problem, but we do sometimes see people who have excess credits in a month and it just gets carried over to the next month. Got it. And can you add or sell shares depending on your electricity usage? Yeah, and that also depends on state by state okay. regulations on the frequency in which you can change your share. Um, for to give you an example, in, in New York, you can change your share size every month. In Massachusetts, you can only do it every six months. But yes, you have the ability to change your your share size based on how much electricity you're using. Because, like I said, we want to size your share to be approximately equal to the the electricity you use. The way we determine your share size is we look at your past year of electricity. And we say, okay, you use this much electricity. That's equivalent to about 10 panels in the shared solar farm. So we're going to give you these 10 panels that are allocated to you. And whatever solar power that these 10 panels produce, that will show up as a credit on your bill. That's awesome. I also noted that your leadership team and your board is pretty diverse. It seems like you made a conscious effort to make that happen. Yeah, and... You know, that's one of the most important reasons why Solstice exists. You know, yes, Solstice exists to give people clean energy access who have never had access before, but we also exist to give a whole variety of non-dominant groups opportunities that they wouldn't have otherwise in employment or, um, like you said, board participation. And and it, it does, you know, after doing this kind of inequality work for a while, I really do believe that it takes conscious effort. You know, um, inequality exists because I don't, I don't think, you know, that many individuals are nefariously planning for the systematic exclusion of populations, but it exists because systems have been built that way. And it, and, and so the only way 
um, to change that is to take active effort to change that from every level, from the bottom up, from the top down, from the inside, from the outside of organizations. And so our way of doing it is to try to create a workplace that is as inclusive and as equitable as possible. And this is kind of work we were doing prior to the race reckoning of 2020. Um, you know, as, as an example, in 2019, we brought our whole board and our whole staff down to Montgomery, Alabama for our annual offsite to go visit the Peace and Justice Memorial, the, the memorial about the lynching history of this country. And that was our team offsite for, you know, one of our years, um, very, very kindly supported by a funder. And, and I think that just goes to show that um, we, we really do deeply care about educating our team about inequality issues, but we also um, care about making sure there's representation on our in our staff and our board of diversity. So we keep stats about how many folks are, um, you know, people of color on our staff and other do non-dominant groups, like how many folks are differently abled or disabled, um, how many folks are coming from uh, different, you know, gender backgrounds. And that's the way we try to hold ourselves accountable to always do better because if we don't in positions of relative privilege and power, then who will? Totally. And is there anything else that you want to tell us that I didn't ask you? To answer your question, I think one of the, we live in such an exciting time right now um, in terms of the potential to make things better. You know, we, the political environment is obviously on the side of climate, and we're already starting to see a lot of big actions come on climate from the current administration. And more than that, I've just seen a swelling of demand from corporations and governments and general citizens about what can we do to enhance sustainability? What can we do to get break our addiction to fossil fuels? And this is a really important time in history because this is obviously climate is an all hands on deck problem and we need everyone involved. And what, um, what we also need to do is make sure that this transition happens in the most inclusive way possible. You know, we have learned from the last year in the pandemic that if we don't care about excluded populations, it will eventually come back to bite us. Um, you know, we're all, all of our fates are interconnected. And so it behooves us to make sure that the energy system is just and equitable. So it's not a question of whether the green transition will happen. It's a question of whether it will be equitable. So I just would love for people to think about, okay, what is my role in making the energy and environmental system more equitable in addition to just um, doing the incredibly hard work of decarbonizing our economy? We also have to put on a lens of, of how do we make it equitable in order to move forward in the most sustainable way. Thanks so much for your time, Steph. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the invitation. And I appreciate your time as well. Great. Take care. You too. So that's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Musical credits go to Purple Planet and the track is Feeling Good.